Welcome to Market Mentors, a podcast for the marketing leaders of today and tomorrow. I'm Fiona Jensen, a director and co-owner of Market Recruitment. For over a decade, I've been helping B2B marketeers find the best jobs with great companies. Together, we'll discover how marketing experts reach the top and learn from their experience. Ask career-related questions you can't get answers to elsewhere. Be tough, be challenged, be mentored. Dip into the mind of a marketer who's been part of companies that have successfully scaled. Tom shares insights into the challenges those businesses faced and how they overcame them. And interestingly, how his passion for history and an interest in wine gave him the inspiration to help those businesses grow. I'm here with uh, Tom Presley, who's kindly agreed to meet us in Putney for a recording of Market Mentors, which is very nice. Um, thanks ever so much for joining us today. Pleasure. What I'd like is for you to talk to us a little bit about your experience. Where have you come from? What sort of companies have you worked for us? Giving the audience an opportunity to understand and appreciate what sort of experience they're about to learn from. Sure. So in the technology marketing world, I guess I've had somewhat of an unorthodox route into where I am today. So I started out in retail, actually, working for a UK company called Tops Tiles. Mm -hmm. They are a tiling um, bathroom supplier based in Leicester. It's where I went to university, so that was my first job out of um, out of uni. And there I did a um, CIM diploma mm -hmm. to get my marketing qualifications. I did a history degree at university. Uh, and then I worked at a company called National Car Parks, very glamorous job that was too in the retail world. That was interesting. It was my first introduction to technology. They were mm. looking to use technology to, um, to to really develop the proposition that they had and extend car parking, not just to be what it is, stacking cars and chunks of concrete, but actually bringing it as part of the retail journey. So one of my roles was to develop partnerships with big high street retail brands and then bring loyalty into that car parking journey. So it, it was quite an interesting proposition of the time, even mm. though the, the, the company wasn't perhaps the sexiest. Um, but at that point, uh, it was interesting. I started realizing quite quickly that bricks and mortar retail um, was sort of having its day and that everything was moving online, e-commerce. So then I decided that from the technology exposure that I'd had, that I wanted to get into the technology sector um, and moved into a company called Bazaar Voice, which is a ratings and reviews company. That was my um, real tech marketing apprenticeship. Um, and then from there, I moved to Fuse, which is a unified communications company. Um, I was hired there to lead the marketing team in Europe, and that was a startup business um, in Europe. So I was the first marketing hire there with a team of six people trying to figure out what the hell we were supposed to be doing. Um, but it was great fun. And from that, I then ended up, uh, it was there for about four years, and then came to where I am today, which is VP of International Marketing at Cloudera. Fantastic. Really good summary. Thank you. So um, as you know, some of our audience might well be looking for their next uh, career move or even actually going through interview processes as we speak. What sort of advice can you give them with regards to how to perform better at interview or things that you even like to see? Yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it's always an interesting occasion uh, going through the interview process. Um, <laughs> Personally, you have to get the basics right. So mm. turning up to an interview and not having done your prep to research the company and the person that you're being interviewed by is criminal. 
really. So, and not just looking at the website, but getting into annual reports, sales figures, being eloquent enough to actually being able to talk about what's happening to the company. Do they have any key projects going on at the moment? The person that you're being interviewed by, what's their background? And from, you know, everyone's on LinkedIn these days, so you can pretty much get a feel for the type of person that you're going to meet, the type of character they are, by either articles that they've written or what's on their LinkedIn profile. So to not kind of go in armed with all that information is just, it's just kind of silly mm. to do that. It just leaves you, leaves you open um, for a very poor start to the, to the interview. So I think that's essential. Um, for me, I think if you're going in, you have to be going in armed with your own questions to find out about the company. Because you have to remember that you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. It's very much a two-way discussion, and, and you should always go in with that in mind. So you're trying to figure out the company. Who are they? Are they a good fit for you? What's the culture like? Um, you know, is it somewhere that you want to work ultimately? And where is the company going? You know, from your research, you should have a bit of a feel for what traje- trajectory they're on. Uh, are they in a growth phase? Are they about to go into a, uh, a process where you're going to be helping to fix things? You know, that, I think figuring that out is incredibly important as well. Um, and then you're sort of getting into the nitty gritty of the role. So is it the right role for you in terms of your career trajectory um, and where you want to be taking yourself. So does it does the opportunity open up doors for you to improve your skill sets or try new things? Um, you know, and you ultimately you're there to help the company, yes, but you're also sort of helping yourself uh, in your career progression. And then finally, you know, and people always are a bit sniffy about finding out about packages, but, you know, you've got to be... Um, figure out what that is and what you're going to be paid at the end of the day um, for providing those services. You know, um, make sure it stacks up. Yeah, make sure it. it mm. yeah, and I think there's a lot about that about understanding your own worth, really, which I think a lot of people don't know when they're going into an interview. You know, if you're in that stage, the the worst position to be in is when you're trying to to go away from something rather than going towards something Mm. so you're trying to escape a company because for whatever reason you've just you've had enough you want to change rather than actually having a plan of where you want to go next and then going out and seeking where that is so if you're going away from something then you're in a mindset of i just want to get want to get out of here and you know i'll you know i'll take whatever's out there or it's a very negative mindset to go into but it's the wonderful thing about talking to recruiters they can give you a good indication about what your market worth truly is because they're talking to a whole bunch of different people um so i think you know ask those questions and find that out before um you then go in and start negotiating it's obviously not the first question you want to be asking in in an interview but you've um you know, you've got to have it in the back of your mind, um, I think. Um, and then finally, just figuring out um, one thing that's important for me when I'm meeting people is, do I want to work with them as an individual? You know, and, and someone once told me there's, there's two types of people in the world. There's people that give you energy and there's people that take energy from you. And as soon as you, you get a very good gut feel for who those people are, when you meet them. And if they give you energy, great. I think a lot of people in an interview process would call that passion. You know, I want to see passion. I want to see enthusiasm for the role. I think, you know, everyone's in marketing. You have to be kind of engaged and you know, passionate in order to do marketing. I think that's one of the fundamentals. But does that person have energy? Because that energy 
um, is uh, is responsive, I think, to the people in the team. And that then sort of lends you to coming into a team and whether you're going to be a good fit or not. Mm, it, it does translate. And also sometimes I think, you know, it, it means that you both enjoy the experience itself because obviously interviews, you often don't necessarily think, oh, I'm going to go in and enjoy this. You sort of go in and think, oh, you know, scary experience. But as you say, if you sort of try and think, well, you know, do I like the person? Am I comfortable? Are they comfortable? What can I do to change that? You know, and, and sort of feed off the energy. If you're enjoying the interview, relax and enjoy the interview. I think sometimes people, you know, can almost lose opportunities because they try to be too professional or too formal. And, you know, companies say, oh, you know, we didn't really get the sense of the person or whether they're a good good guy or a good girl yeah, and, and whether we'd want to work with them. So uh, it's that line, isn't it? Yeah. I, <laughs> Try not to go too far, but And I've certainly it. done that as well. But the feedback yeah. I've had is like, oh, you know, we didn't really get a sense of who you were. It's just like, yeah. damn it. You know, should have been just more open and relaxed. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, often it's, I think, when, and this is the hardest advice, I think, often from a recruiter's perspective is, you know that the candidate or the person really wants the job. It's like their dream job. This is their ideal opportunity. And because it's such an ideal dream job they become really formal and and professional and they try to you know put themselves forward as this lovely you know box type marketeer that you can just take off the shelf and you know companies don't actually want that half the time and it can you know be counterproductive unfortunately sure yeah you you want to see personality and i think that comes out as as being genuine Mm. um i think that there's a lot of value to be put in being genuine because that comes out in the work that you do as well. You know, you don't want to be kind of faking your way through life. You want to be just that here I am, this is what I skill set, you know, I'm, and this is the type of character I am. And it'd mm. be great to work with you uh, if I'm the right person that will fit into the culture. So, you know, I, I think you can, if you end up faking something or trying to project a different image of yourself, you can end up in a job that just isn't right for you. And then you're going to be unhappy and you're sort of wasting time and you're, career progression so and and that is very true often you know i talk to people who have made mistakes like that unfortunately they've ended up in a company that you know didn't didn't deliver what it was that they originally sold i suppose at interview all their experiences is, is very different to what they expected and people can be a bit nervous and feel like no i've got to sit it out now for a year or so before i move because it's going to look poor on a cv but I'm always a bit like, well, you're only on the on the planet once. And if I'm honest, wasting a year or two becoming more demotivated and, uh, you know, feeling like you are just in the wrong job. Firstly, you're not going to do a good job for that company. They're not going to thank you for treading water for a year and, you know, saying yes to sure. people. They, they want you to add value. That's the marketeer's job. So if I were, you know, if, if there is anybody out there basically thinking this is not the right job, I've made a mistake, my advice would be just to decide, right, it's not the right job for me. Have that difficult conversation with the company and find yourself the right job because you don't, we don't live long enough to suffer a bad role or a bad job. I don't think we've just got to go for it and find a job that you enjoy. Sage advice, Fiona. Well, it stems <laughs> from what you've said, isn't it? Um, so what experience do you need to build on to make the move from manager to director or head of marketing role? So this is one of the questions that's come from someone who's maybe found a good job and a nice company and are happy, but are now looking to step up. Yeah, it's. I remember being in 
the position myself and sort of turning over in my head, like, how can I do it? Like, you know, because you go in and you talk to recruiters about these potential roles and they sort of say, well, you haven't got this experience and you haven't got that experience. And the frustration is always, well, how do I get that experience if I'm not going to be given that experience to actually prove that I can do it? So uh, the way I got rounded at the time, well, not got rounded, but developed the skill set that I needed is first off to kind of think your way into the job that you want to be getting to. So if you're making a jump from a manager to a head of, go and talk to a head of uh, or a director and understand what their day-to-day is and understand what the differences are between your job and their job. And then once you've actually done that, you figure out what the void is and you can start addressing those skill sets. So, for example, one of the things that I always knew I wanted to do was to head up teams and, and manage people. It's I get a lot of satisfaction out of developing people and seeing them be successful. So um, in a former life, I, I rode quite a bit at, mm. at university. And uh, one of the skill sets that I picked up from there was uh, how to coach. So I went and did a qualification and I um, got a... Um, a temporary coaching job in my spare time wasn't paid or anything. It was volunteer, but it was, I viewed it as an opportunity to manage people. So, and there's a lot of transferable skills there. So that when you go into an interview and someone says, well, okay, this job that you're applying for requires management of a team of four. And I see you don't have that on your CV. You say, yes, but I have managed a team of 20 plus rowers and I've coached them to, have targets, personal achievements, you know, and you know, they've got to um, have objectives they want to meet, races we want to win, you know, all this kind of stuff. There's ways of being able to bypass the sort of natural um, business hierarchy mm. of getting those skill sets outside the company that you can then bring back in. But if you know, if you're you know, you're not lucky enough to, to sort of be um, go to sport or, or something like that, or have those opportunities, then a company should support you in that pathway as well if you're open and honest about where you want to get to. And you don't, if, if you're uncomfortable about saying it directly, you don't have to sort of say, like, I'm after your job, mm. like, well, you know, the next person above you, because yeah. generally um, someone has to make way for you if you want a promotion. But yeah. you can sort of ask those questions subtly about, oh, you know, I'm interested. It doesn't have to be in your department. It could be in a different department. Um, or even in another business where you might have a friend or a colleague to understand exactly what it takes and what it is and what the skill sets are to to have that job, uh, the next step up that you want to be at. And I think when you actually appreciate that, as I said, you can start filling the void in, in the skills. So when you go into the interview, you can talk um, knowledgeably about what those skills are and how you could, how you can address them. Perfect. And I think also, um, <clears throat> if, if you don't have someone else within the company or the company aren't being terribly supportive around helping you uh, train and develop those skills, because unfortunately there are situations where, you know, companies basically are, no, <laughs> we don't want to help or support with that for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I spotted recently that on LinkedIn, you can actually ask for quite specific career advice or insight. And it stays live, I think, for couple of weeks or something like that but actually people could come and decide to mentor you or provide assistance or advice 
Um, I do it a little bit. Um, unfortunately, time, you know, <laughs> you've only got so many hours in a day to be able to do that. But I do flick through that section every now and then to see if there's a question that actually I feel I could actually just answer. Yeah. So, you know, there, there's other avenues of trying to get that input. If you can't think of someone or you don't know someone, ask, be open. And I think you'll be surprised at how incredibly generous people can be. Yeah, I, do, I, I totally agree because it, there is um, nothing more flattering than someone coming to you and wanting career advice, you know, and it, it, it's, um, it, it is quite a thing. When it, mm. when it happens and then you'll and, and never underestimate that you'll find p- that people no matter what they're incredibly busy in their jobs they'll be pretty honest and, and open with you to say yes absolutely I can give you you know bits of time but respect the time that they give you and be professional about it book time in their diary or work with their PA get, block out a bit of time you know and, and come prepared for the interview one thing that you absolutely shouldn't do if you have um, a mentor is to come to them and expect them to be a crystal ball to solve all your problems. So you shouldn't, if, if you come to a session, you know, if I, if I was mentoring um, someone, and I've done this a couple of times, if someone came to me without an ag- their own agenda for the call, I'd close the call down and say, like, let's reschedule this because, you know, we're not going to get anything out. It's going to be a meandering conversation mm. and, you know, both our time is precious and you're not going to get the answers that you want. So go away and think about, you know, what you actually want to ask me and I shall give you some constructive advice. Mm. But treat those opportunities professionally because they come round. Getting getting a good marketing mentor is a very rare thing to, to get. Um, if you have, inf- not that it's, it's difficult to get response out of people, but someone that's going to uh, be with you as through your career progression. And I have sort of only two or three people that I trust implicitly their advice. And I very much value and respect their time. Um, so when I actually get some time with them in their diary, I make sure it's quality time, really quality time. Because it's not it's unlikely that you're going to be like, oh, yeah, we'll book in a regular Monday morning two-hour conversation over coffee. Yeah. Um, you know, people, unfortunately, don't have that amount of spare time. Yeah. So you may be lucky to get sort of half an hour here and there once a month, perhaps. So you mm-hmm. have to make sure that that time is, um, is really used to best effect. Yeah, really good advice. How do big corporates justify spend on difficult to measure campaigns around brand or thought awareness? Yeah, there's, uh, there is always a massive pressure on companies for always delivering to the bottom line, you know, market, and, and especially with all the measurements now. Um, mm-hmm. There's uh, finance people particularly are pressurizing marketing teams an awful lot more on being able to quantify what their spend is actually producing. But you sort of look at big corporates who are spending budgets and have particular budgets for branding campaigns. It's because I think they understand the, the importance of actually being front of mind for people when they come to decision making. So if you, I mean, I talk for sort of business to business context, these buying cycles, you know, a B2C buying cycle is on a daily, perhaps weekly basis. A B2B sales cycle can be, you know, months, if, if not years. So you have to be at the forefront of people's 
um, minds when they're actually in that position to make the purchase. Because so much research now is done before they even talk to a salesperson. It's all done online. You know, people, there are so many assets out there that companies put out there that companies can go and educate themselves. So the, the ability to actually promote the brand and be first in market because of the brand and thought leadership activity that you've done is absolutely essential. Now, when you're actually in a smaller company and you're starting to build up, to actually get that type of budget to do that type of activity is difficult because every penny is being uh, examined about what's going out the door and what's coming back in because there isn't that sort of um, supply of, uh, of cash that a public company might have. So, uh, uh, you know, the accountabilities are much more uh, immediate. But there's ways you can actually influence that piece. And I think when you're putting plans together um, as part of a smaller company, you have to think of every type of campaign that you do is a, is a brand campaign in itself, is a thought leadership campaign in itself. So don't just look at um, the tactic, think, oh, we need to do some email stuff or we need to do some you know, digital advertising. When you put the campaigns together, they should be integrated and they should have a brand and thought leadership perspective. Now, you may decide that how you execute the campaign requires uh, execution across all these different channels. That's absolutely fine. But ultimately, there should be uh, you know, a brand component to that, whether it's in the messaging that you're putting out or it's in you know, the um, product pieces that you're putting together. Um, brand should always be at the forefront um, of any marketing activity, especially now when the I think the, the business B two B markets progress to a point where B and B two B and B two C are actually coming really quite close together now, much closer than they ever have been, um, because end users are being impacted so much more by technology um, in their day to day lives. So they can actually see the impact that that type of tech is making on their on their day to day jobs. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right, actually. And there's a lot of B2C marketers who are now looking at B2B tech and actually really interested in moving across because they see um, a lot of opportunity. And also the fact that I think we've finally realized as an industry that the companies themselves aren't sort of big, nameless, faceless organizations anymore. They're people behind those companies and those personas who actually care about how they feel or you know want to kind of believe in why it is that you're doing what you do rather than be too specific around the techie stuff yeah absolutely so i mean i'm sure people listening to this podcast will have seen the simon sinek golden yeah. circle piece i mean that is absolutely the way you should be thinking about campaigns you know it's, it's a very simplistic way of doing it but it gets right to the heart of the of the matter that i think your question raises and particularly in technology um companies you have a lot of these companies are made up by really clever intelligent passionate technical people whether they're engineers or software developers but they're not marketing people they don't necessarily know how to carry the message of the business what it's trying to achieve the why uh, to the market and that's that's where marketing people come in to help do that so um, and to your point it's uh, it comes down to, to brand at the end of the day 
and your and your strategy, the plan, the vision, the yeah. marketeer who ties it all together and communicates it effectively with people. Um, gender pay gap and the percentage of male versus female leadership roles. Do you think this challenge needs addressing in our industry? And if so, how? Oh, I've got to answer this one carefully, yeah. haven't I? Um, <laughs> it's, uh, no, it, it's an incredibly important question. And I think not just in marketing, across the board, uh, there should be very much awareness of gender pay and, and how it, it's divided up. I think that it's really, for me, it, it, it's a two-sided coin here. So businesses, there's a responsibility of industries and businesses to be aware that it's potentially an issue. Um, whether they're you know, cleared up about it or not, they have to have it as something that they're seriously thinking about and constantly looking to improve upon. I think the other side of it as well is from the individuals who are going in. I think like to what I referenced before, um, you tend to not get things for free. So, uh, and a lot of this is about understanding your worth in the market. And I think between um, men and women, I think perhaps men have a slightly more inflated opinion of their worth mm -hmm. than perhaps women do. And I think that's one thing that you know, mentors can actually help with. Um, so actually going and talking to you know, mentors or recruiters and actually understanding how to quantify your value out in the marketplace so that actually when you go and have those conversations and if there's an offer that comes back that you know what to you feels low you can have an a emotion less practical conversation about um the pay that isn't um that isn't that isn't full of emotion i think when you sort of get down an emotional track um, it becomes a very uh, a very difficult conversation and, and not constructive. Um, you have to take emotion absolutely off the table, and it, it is a very emotional subject um, because you know we all have you know, mortgages and families and cars and what have you and holidays that we want to be able to afford. Um, so there's a lot of pressure that's actually put on getting the right package for you, but you have to go in to one of those conversations in an informed way. So I think it's it's two sides coming together i think you know the employees need to be much more aware about it and and have done the research to figure out what they're worth and the responsibilities on industries and companies to keep making sure that they're addressing um any type of prejudice that's in their in their industry mm. and you're right there's there's definitely you can ask colleagues you can ask your mentors um and recruiters in general will always be happy to have that sort of conversation but also there's salary surveys so yes. um b2b marketing i think do a really rigorous one once a year from market recruitment perspective we do one every year in fact we're about to launch our one now where you know that data is freely available for you at any point if you wanted to download it but also other recruiters do that on an annual basis too so you know don't just rely on one source explore multiple sources and then see where you fit into that and then as you say tom you are armed with regards to that negotiation question and the salary have they come up with what you feel is realistic for you benchmark yourself and then go back with the data and no emotion to explain why they need to reconsider what it is they're putting on the table yeah. But always in a positive 
and you know encouraging manner. Always, always <laughs> positive. Absolutely, that's it. An offer is, is is a good start. Yeah, yeah. Now let's make sure it's the right one. Exactly. <laughs> um, it's often said that you can be paid in money or experience. Looking back on your career, how often did you value experience over a higher salary? And did you strike a good balance? <laughs> so. <laughs> It, I mean, it's a, a lovely concept. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, if I was a boss and someone came in and said, Do you know what, don't worry about the salary, I just want the experience, that'd be grand. <laughs> yeah, Take him on tomorrow, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely, yeah. That's just the sort of guy I am. Yeah. Um, but realistically, are you going to go into a job and take no money for opportunity? No. Are you going to go in for a job that is incredibly well paid, but is gonna, you're going to be sat around twiddling your thumbs all day. Hopefully not. So it's about, again, knowing your worth and striking the balance between the two. And I think that comes down to understanding um, the role that you, are, that you want to be taking, the company that you want to go with. And when you, hopefully you do your research and you get that right. So when you get into the job, it's really then down to you to make the most out of that opportunity. Well, they're not, they're not going to come to you with your dream job. Nobody ever no one, has No one ever is. But what you can do is be inquisitive. You know, have a plan. Go out and try and milk a job for all it's worth. No one is going to say that, you know, if you volunteer yourself for a whole load of different stuff, you know, no one's going to say no. Everyone loves people who are keen mm. to get involved and roll up their sleeves and get stuff done. Um, that should never be a concern. So it's really, I think... On the in a, in a in a world that is so competitive in the job market, and if everyone's scrambling to the top, you know we've had questions today about how do you make the jump from you know manager to, to head of. Um, you really have to seek out those opportunities that are going to give you that jumping board. Because if if you're not, there's probably someone else that either you're working with or that's external to the company who's looking for that advantage. So it's about being proactive and looking using the company for um, all the opportunity and experience that you can get while you're there. You know, as marketing people, we're in such a fast-paced developing world. I think if you look at any job description, it starts off with, you know, must enjoy working in a fast-paced environment. I mean, that's just, that's just marketing day-to-day. <laughs> in general, But yeah. it's, not, it's not nine to five, you know, and it never has been. Um, you don't clock in and clock out of a marketing job. You're always thinking... Um, you know, you sort of take stuff home at the weekend. You don't necessarily have to be at your computer, but you can be thinking about what happens next week, campaigns, what do I need to plan, you know. And that's, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I got into marketing. It's it's the sort of matching the logic and the creative element of it to either fix things or problem solve things or build things. And that's really the most important thing of making the most out of the, the job that you're in. Market Mentors is produced by Rockwood Audio, a subscription production service that takes the pain out of podcasting. From advice and support to editing and production to music and artwork, Rockwood Audio has you covered so you can stay focused on your goals. Better, faster, easier. Rockwood Audio. Save time, sound like a pro. Past failure or uncomfortable experience set you up for success at a later date? Oh, fail. I don't have failures. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, no, so, what? I mean, what, what is it? I don't understand. So, I mean, the sort of person I am, I uh, 
I have I have failures every single day that I can. I mean, I'll look back on this interview and think I could have probably done it better, you know. And that's just sort of the person I am. That's how I learn. I'm always looking to do one better than I've done before, whether it's um, you know sending emails or doing speeches or what what have you. Um, and I, you know, I and, and for me that that is a good way of approaching life if you're cons- always trying to be one better than you were yesterday um, you're always going to keep going on a positive uh, trajectory and that's going to help you sort of develop your skill set um, and always be looking out for the next opportunity to better yourself um, if you're looking for an ex- a more seismic example I mm-hmm. suppose from my um, personal history I always remember walking into my first, so I'd just got my first senior marketing role and I was to give a marketing update to um, a QBR, a, a quarterly business review and sales review. So all the sort of leadership team are in there. There's you know, sales guys and finance guys and all the heads of team. And the update I gave was similar to an update I would have given to um, a marketing director. It was about here's the campaigns that we've done, here's how they're performing, this is working well, this is not, you know, kind of really you know, interesting granular marketing stuff that as a team we'd be pouring over and thinking, how can we do And, yeah, you know, for me it was very, very interesting. I was, mm. you know, I'd spent, you know, hours putting, you know, multi-slide decks together yeah. and making it all look pretty and getting all the yeah. animation sorted. And I think I lost the room within about the first three slides. <laughs> Oh, nice. They were all like on their phones or, you know, having a yeah. scratch or making coffee or whatever. Um, and I think that, uh, and I kept, I kept pressing on and I think I ran out of time in the end before I came to my you know, grand finale closure. And uh, from that has stuck with me for years because it's a feeling of completely having mis read an audience mm. I suppose and uh, I was very very angry with myself for, for, I still am really it's still 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 gets yeah still still uh, makes my uh, yeah uh, it's the scars the scars run deep you know? <laughs> the shudder down the spine exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah but but it taught me you know you know in though especially internally an old boss of mine called it the marketing of marketing where you have to put across your key messages to an audience that doesn't really understand marketing or what marketing does, but you have to pick out the sort of top three things that you want them to take away from the session and condense your, you know, 50-slide deck into five maximum. Because, I mean, in my experience, marketing has its place within a QBR, but it may get moved, it may go, it may get cut from 45 minutes to 20 because of how things are overrunning, you know, a, a, a more important topic might be sort of put out and put to the table. So you've got to be ready in a very kind of crisp update. Um, and that's really stuck with me going forward. And it's, it's about how to talk, you know, we talked earlier on about people making that jump from sort of manager level to head of and director of and all the rest of it. Um, there is a different way of talking as you go up the chain and you have to understand what is of interest to your audience as you move up that grade. And it's an important piece to take away because if you get it wrong, as I discovered, and uh, never to do it again, um, you sort of lose interest mm. in the first instance. And potentially, if it's really bad, you lose respect 
of the mm. people that are there as well. So um, I don't mean to scare your listeners by sort of saying that, but no. it's, it's, it's an important point and certainly a very valuable lesson that I learned. It is. But also, I think having, having met a lot of senior marketeers, uh, looking back, I think you're right. The whole tone, communication style, it's simpler. It's concise. And it just delivers a huge amount more value. And, you know, sometimes I think that's because you're so used to now talking to people who don't necessarily understand marketing or the granular stuff that it just becomes a style in general for how you communicate about everything. Mm. And actually, the earlier you can get to that type of communication style, the easier it will be for you to move through to, through the ranks. Right. And Let's... although we all love the data and we all love the metrics and, you know, the conversion rates and, you know, get all the marketing terminology out of your system now <laughs> but if you do want to succeed and, and progress certainly from my own experience it's all about delivering really concise but valuable insights and information yeah less is more the rule still stands today even with all this information available still absolutely fundamental and if people want to dig into stuff that you say because they find it interesting let them do that. That's obviously absolutely fine. But they will dig in if they want to. But don't give it to them all up front because it'll be too much and they'll switch off. You know, it's it's all about you know you want to kind of lay little breadcrumbs to you know the the marketing genius that you've put together. You know, so people can actually get engaged and get excited about it and get interested in it. And that's you know a, a, a skill set that I've certainly learned. Um, that's put me in good stead. I like it. Um, So what's the most valuable marketing skill you can have? So this is going to sound really simplistic, (laughs) but learn how to ask why. Why is something like that? Why did this campaign work? Why did that not? Why is that competitor doing that activity? You know, why is this company taking this decision to go that way with that strategy? You know, the more you can ask why, um, the better you will um, start understanding the objectives of the business, your purpose in the job, and how to be successful. And I find one of the things that I learned, uh, certainly when, because one, one of the classic pressures that you get from marketing is you know, sales teams coming over to you and making requests like we should be doing more of this, we should be doing more of that. And that I find is a wonderful way, asking that question. We should be doing more events. Okay, why is that? Why should we be doing more events? Not not you know, and you're asking the question not in an aggressive way, but just okay, that's interesting. It's a sort of it's sort of a defense mechanism in some respects, but you can actually use stuff like that to guide that sales conversation back to a marketing plan, just being inquisitive about anything and everything. And this, I think, is relevant whether you're just starting out or you're right up at the top. You know, there there is always more that you can understand and more that you can learn as a marketing person. Um, And that, that ability to be inquisitive and then apply the answers to refining your marketing plans is a key skill um, that I don't think is used enough, really, in the industry. So I'm sorry if that's not a, it's no, not a like classic. 
Um, awesome. You know, skill set of you know you, you must learn ABM or you must learn mm. uh, email marketing or you know yes you know obviously you should be learning all of that stuff as well as part of your basic training, but as a key soft skill that perhaps is a little bit um, different from the norm, I'd absolutely say that taking that approach to your professional life will put you in very good stead. Very good. Um, so we've got quite a specific question. Um, I'll even try and give you a specific answer. Yes, yes, if you could. Um, <laughs> so we've got, even with heaps of preparation, coaching and development, a move to a more senior role, I'm about to move from senior manager to head of, it can still feel daunting. And peers in a similar position have likened the first few weeks to winging it. What advice could you offer someone moving into a senior role where there isn't a huge peer population to support and the pressure is on to make a good impression? That is very specific, isn't mm. it? It's good. No, mm. it's, um, and I'm sure it's, um, it's a scenario that will resonate a lot with uh, your listeners. I think you can either be someone that, for want of a better phrase, fakes it till they makes it. Mm-hmm. I'm not one of those people. I never have been. Uh, I'm probably too open, too honest. So uh, if you are not that sort of person, I'm, and obviously I, I would never sort of suggest that one actually goes out to fake something anyway, because I think it sets you up for um, a very stressful beginning to a job. Mm. The way I approach it is to use your personality strengths to your advantage. So, um, you know, businesses don't expect you to have all the answers within the first two weeks. Right? That would be impossible. Uh, if you can't sort of roll in and you know come up with some sort of groundbreaking brand strategy, people are going to ask. You know, if you suddenly go come up with this strategy and go and ask finance for you know, like two million quid, and and you've only been there for two weeks, they're going to start raising eyebrows and <laughs> asking some deep probing questions. <laughs> so I, you know, companies are always going to give you a bit of time to learn the business, get out, talk to people get educated about the space, the market, because no matter how much prep that you do for an interview, let's say, there's always a whole ton of stuff that you uncover when you actually get into a business and start talking to the people and getting used to the team and all the, the rest of The stuff they don't tell you. Exactly. And there is always some. You know, there's, there is. Never 100% transparent because they're selling the company to yeah. you as, as much as you're they buying you. it. Exactly. So in terms of how I approach those first few weeks, I come up with a very simple plan and I I hold myself accountable to measurements against that plan. Now, that's not a marketing plan. That can be as simple as over the next three weeks, I am going to be going out and talking with this person and this person visiting this customer, being on that sales meeting, doing whatever. Mm. Um, And I plan to do this amount of meetings by this point and you know and and making it very practical like that so that at the end of your first month if someone asks what the hell you've been doing for the last four weeks you can say well here it is i've gone out i've met this person this person this person i've networked you know i understood the business i've you know been a product people i've got that i've and you know and and make sure you're documenting all this stuff as well so Mm. you can say well you know i've you know, discovered this stuff. I've come up with these questions. This is now my initial feel about where I want to be heading towards. 
uh, you know, and I intend to come up with a plan that I'll present back to the business on such a date. And actually, by doing, by having that approach and going out and talking to people, you can start figuring out if there's anything incredibly urgent that needs you, that you need to jump on sooner rather than later. Mm. Hopefully, they'll have actually told you about that. But you know what? There's probably some stuff they've told you about and some stuff that they don't know about because mm. you've actually gone off and taken the time to do the digging yourself um, and you've found some solutions that, to problems that you didn't expect to find, but you've also uncovered some new problems that actually could be more important than the other ones that you, you were told about. So, but, you know, that at least puts, having a structure like that puts you in control of your first, let's say, episode at um, a business, let's say the first three months. And it gives you that opportunity to be structured, to be flexible within a structure, um, and gives you an, a, a method of being accountable to the people above you so that you can have a nice free-flowing conversation and you are getting increasingly equipped with knowledge about the business. Great. Really useful um, tips and advice there. Thank you. With pressures of general life, how do you manage the work-life balance and how important is that in today's society? Yeah, I, um, this obviously it's incredibly important mm. to be keep your sanity while you're actually doing your work. Um, I, I have a, a fairly, I guess, grown-up approach to this type of thing in so much as I expect the people that are working for me or the people that I'm working with to be grown-ups about it too. You know, no, as, a, as a leader, leaders don't like unexpected disasters. No. So if, as an employee, you suddenly come to me and tell me that you're burnt out and you need to take three months off, I'm not going to be particularly impressed by that. Mm. Now... What I would hope is someone in my team would actually come to me and before that and say, Do you want, look, I'm knackered, I need a break, um, you know, can I take this, these two weeks off and actually mm. just go and relax and whatever. Fine. Yeah, that, that's absolutely no problem. But there's, I think, within the question, there is probably a deeper um, element, which is having free-flowing conversation between leader and employee or manager and employee about whether they're being overloaded with stuff. Because the yeah, especially when you're starting out, there's a phenomenal amount of pressure to be deliver something, deliver something churning through the workload, demonstrating have an, have an impact, demonstrating that you're a good worker, all the rest of it. Mm. And I'm sure people feel the pressure that actually, do you know what, I can't take a holiday because otherwise this won't get done. Mm. You have to be mature enough to take a holiday and it sounds ridiculous but you have to be able to do that and you can plan it at sensible times so for example you know in the technology world there's an awful lot of stuff that happens in that sort of february march april may period of the year it's incredibly intense you know look at the diary look at what's happening with the campaigns and events don't take a holiday right in the middle of it mm. but do you know what? August is pretty dead. It's pretty dead. I mean, we're Europeans. Certainly, we like mm. to enjoy our summer holidays. Oh, yeah? So take the time off. You know, no mm. one's really going to be uh, interested in the work that you're churning out in August 
Uh, if so it means and everyone else is on holiday, mm. and also if it means that you're going to come October, which is another incredibly busy period, you're going to be stretched out on a chaise long somewhere with a damp flannel over your head. <laughs> you know, it, it's just avoid that. It, avoid that like <laughs> the plague. Yeah, yeah. and, and uh, I, I get, I do get quite sort of passionate about it because it's it is an important um, part of of working life. Uh, but it needs to be again. It's a two-way street, you know. And, and mm. employees absolutely should never feel that they can't go and speak to their uh, manager or leader about the fact that they need to take a holiday. And if uh, that is not an option, then you shouldn't be working at that company because mm. it's clearly not good for your health. Yeah. So. Yeah. Look after your own physical, mental health, well-being. And, you know, the day job will look after itself as well. I think it, it is that personal investment. And also, I think it also comes down to trust sometimes because it's like sure. you've got to trust the team, you've got to trust yourself, you've got to trust your manager to be able to cope without you there. And, you know, a lot of what marketeers are doing nowadays, I think, is working a lot smarter. You know, you've got automation. Mm. If if you feel you need to be in, in the office nine to five, 365 days a year, you might be doing something wrong. <laughs> right. Because there's some amazing tools out there now that can yeah. really help you um, with um, this type Absolutely. Of stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, my, one of my, the companies that where I was, um, I was heading up a team, I had um, someone in the team who desperately wanted to take her two children to a sports lesson on a Wednesday afternoon. I think it was, for whatever reason, the calendar was set for a Wednesday afternoon. And I think the activity was something like between two and four in the afternoon. Um, and the, the nature of the company was that there was a lot of remote working and flexibility. And for me, as a, as a team leader, I was like, do you know what, if that's going to make you happy and make your family happy, providing you make the hours up at some other time and your work doesn't suffer, fine. Absolutely no problem. Now, I appreciate that, that you know that was a smaller company and some of these bigger companies are a bit more rigid in their structures. But I think the, you, this comes back to what I was saying earlier on about you know identifying the type of company and the type of way of working that you want to work for in the type of business that you actually go and, um, and commit your time to. Because it is very important. You know, if you're not happy in the work that you're doing, that's going to massively impact your your life in mm. general. And if you're not on the top of your game, you know, mentally, emotionally, physically, you're not going to be very effective at work. And that's going to impact your career progression. People are going to stop wanting to work with you. And, you know, that's, you're then on a tricky downward spiral. So you have to be... You have to sort of participate. Someone said to me, you have to participate in your own recovery, mm. I think, is what they said. So, but, you know, and again, this comes back to no one's going to bring it on a silver platter. You have to get involved and participate in it. And that uh, requires communication with the people above you. And being honest with yourself. And being honest with yourself, for sure. Because we're not robots. Exactly. Need a break. <laughs> no, not robots yet. Yet. Yes. Oh, yes, that's true. Um, what are the marketing skills of the future? I. What do we invest in? Growth hacking, inbound, ABM, automation. The buzzwords go on. Oh, Lord, they do. Um, the, the basics are never going to go away. You know, there are still customers 
that have issues they need addressing. There are still companies that have products that address those issues, and there is marketing people in between that connect the two together. And there are skill sets to do that and toolkit. Um, you know, I did um, uh, yeah, he CIM diploma um, when I was younger, and, there's, and uh, I was involved with the IDM as well. Um, these are great institutions for teaching you those basics, and you shouldn't shun away from from learning them because they are. I'm a big believer in doing simple things well, and if you do the simple things well, the rest takes care of itself. It's like if you're building a house, you don't create good foundations; the rest of it is going to fall down at some point. So I think doing those bases is absolutely important. Now, in terms of the future, I think there's I look at sort of three areas where I think um, you know people can steal a bit of a march. Um, and I'm you know I'm not one for buzzwords; it's sort of a bit bit more general than that. But really, understanding how data impacts marketing is a big one. And from that, I mean, we are, as a profession now, inundated with so many different platforms that we could use. Um, I worked at a company that had about 40-plus different software applications in their tech stack. And, in, and you know, each of those had a dashboard. In the end, we had to get a dashboard to summarize the dashboards because mm. it was that complex. Too much to it was too, yeah. too much. It's crazy. But there is absolutely a requirement to be able to take data outputs from the campaigns that you're running and platforms that you use and understand how to transmit them into what you do in the future. Because there's no point sort of getting all that data and then either sitting on it or you know it goes in a graph and that's what I do in my day-to-day. You have to actually be able to understand what that data is telling you and then go off and course-correct your marketing plan on the back of it. And I think with the, the data side of it, it that piece is about um, not necessarily understanding all these different platforms to the ends of the earth, but it's understanding what to look for. So, so you know, I'm not... You can always get bogged down in data, you know, the paralysis by analysis mm. um, phrase, which <laughs> I hate, but it is true, mm. sadly. Um, so you have to be able to sort of look at the numbers, but then also be able to dial it up several levels to give you some sort of directional movement. Otherwise, why are you collecting all the data and analyzing it mm. all the time? You know, it's just, you've got to be able to do that. It's a, you don't have to be like a mathematician, but you have to be comfortable with data and numbers and, and, and transferring them into action. I think the, the second thing I would say is digital execution. And by that, I mean, you know, the world is predominantly digital now. I, mean, so I, I read there was a chap called Mark Ritson who um, contributes a lot to um, magazines like Marketing Week. He's a professor of marketing in Melbourne, I think, uh, these days. But I, I, I'm a particular fan of his robust thoughts on, on things. Uh, and he wrote recently that um, there, di- there is no digital marketing. There's just marketing. And it's absolutely true. Like Digital is just now part of the mix that you have to use. Um, when you're actually putting your plans together. But it is still a relatively new avenue for people to actually go and and learn about. Uh, So when I say digital digital execution, it means putting your plans together for sure, 
but actually understanding the new routes to market. You know, there's a lot of there's been so much development with digital now that you can reach very very tailored specific audiences with very tailored specific messages um, and doing it very cost effectively. You know, gone are the days where you only had four TV channels and you were you know and only two of which were commercial that you could put TV ads out mm. and that you could guarantee audience of millions while everyone was putting the kettle on during Coronation Street. Mm. You know, those days have kind of gone. But the benefit is that you can now use all these tools and platforms to target the absolute people that you want to be talking to with very specific and relevant messages. And if you're not doing that, I think people kind of think you're a bit lazy as an outfit. Mm. That those opportunities to do that and message in that way exist and you're not using them. You're not doing your marketing very well. Mm. So I think understanding how to the digital element of executing a campaign is important. And then I think, I mean, topically, you know, we're recording this in March. The Brexit vote is not far away. Being open to international experience as well. The, the world is a very small place these days. You know, I, I, um, it's funny, I started out my career um, to UK-based retailers I'm now in a, in a job where I'm you know, flying out to um, Asia and the US and for, it's really opened up for me how small the world is in term, commercially um, and how borders don't really mean an awful lot when there is uh, you know, customers that, that have needs and you have a, a particular product set that you can mm. actually deliver to them. Especially in tech. Especially in tech, incredibly relevant in tech. So I think being open and willing to get out and do travel um, and getting just getting out into the field. I think if you have the opportunity to get out and see how people do marketing in other countries and what respond, what, how people respond to different uh, messages and ways of talking is, is phenomenally important. Um, and it gives you ideas, doesn't it, as well? It gives you new perspectives, new opinions. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> I, I suppose with regards to marketing, the more opinions and the more viewpoints you garner and understand and appreciate, the more effective you can be with how you communicate, not just to those audiences, but beyond. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the wonderful thing at the moment is that there's so much opportunity out there to work for different companies and we are so blessed that English is our native language that it opens up a lot of doors for us um, to be able to you know, go out and, and try uh, working in new companies in new geographies to get more wise about how to market with them in the future because as we progress and as the world develops it's only ever going to get smaller you know our transportation is going to get more efficient more quick um, you know, there's only recently the the sort of non-stop flights to Australia have started coming out. Suddenly, mm. even the opposite side of the world is not actually as far away as it used to be. So, and that trend's only going to continue, obviously, hopefully with more greener ways of actually getting us there. Mm. But, um, so yeah, finish off that one. I think that international experience is, is a great one. Perfect. Um, and what's the best career advice you've ever been given or found for yourself? So there's a funny story. The, the, the only real piece of career advice in its purest sense that I was given was when I was about to leave university mm. and, and I'd done a history degree and I, I went to see the careers advisor 
And they said to me, well, we advise you to be a history teacher. Mm. And I sort of thought, right, okay, mm -hmm. um, I don't want to be a history teacher, so, so I better go <laughs> off and start um, talking to people and finding out exactly what I wanted to, to do next. And, and that really is you know, when I started talking to like friends, family members, colleagues, people that I knew who were in different industries and so sort of found my way into marketing as an, a blend of sort of my you know, creative and logical brain um, that, I, that I think I have. And that then sort of got me into uh, the marketing world. And I think this comes back to a point of you know, no one's re it sort of highlights that no one is going to tell you where you should go in your life. And it's, it's a really annoying thing because you go and talk to careers advisor hoping that you'll get career advice. But it, again, it's never delivered on a silver plate. You have to um, go out and find the answers for yourself. So I think the, the first thing that, and this was never really given to me, but, but over time I sort of figured it out, is that you have to understand yourself first. Like what gets you out of bed in the morning? What excites you? What type of people do you like to work with? What type of work do you like to do? And only when you've figured that out can you then go out and start looking for companies that fit that profile. And I know sort of when you're sort of coming into your first job, you're just happy to get a job. But, uh, but at least you can have a loose gearing on whether that particular company is going to be a good fit for you or not, and and don't you know, try not to sell yourself too short with that first job. I know it's, it's incredibly competitive getting on the career ladder, but when you're on there, you can then start navigating your way up. And you know, you as everyone does, you sort of develop as a, a human being and an individual as you go through your career, and you can course correct as you go. And that's when you can start actually picking up these mentors who can help guide you. But again, you, know, you, you have to participate in that process by coming with very specific questions that will help them to guide you through your career trajectory. Mm, interesting. So if you see someone who you think is having fun <laughs> and you want to you wanna understand how do you do that, how do you get involved with that, then just ask them. Yeah, honestly. So uh, the um, when I moved from out of retail into my first tech job, um, I'd met someone who um, I think I was at the rowing club at the time and I was talking to um, that person about this wonderful company that she mm. was working at that she kept going on about. Mm -hmm. And I just said, you know what, I, I haven't worked for a company yet that I, that, that I could talk so passionately mm. about. And she, we just sort of got to talking to it and then um, it sort of went from there. So... You always, the sort of realisation that people can actually enjoy their yeah, jobs so much yeah, that they yeah. won't shut up about it. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And that's what a, what a wonderful thing to, yeah. be, to be, a situation to be in. So yeah. I was like, yeah, I fancy a bit of that, actually. And, and she was dead right. And that's, that's how I got into te the technology sector, and technology mm -hmm. marketing. So always put good stock in talking to people, even if they're not the person that you're aspiring to be professionally. You know, talking to just friends and family, you, just, you never know what's going to pop up by having open, honest discussions um, about careers. Mm, very true. As a senior marketing leader, what is your guilty pleasure? 
uh, what is my guilty pleasure? Well, it's a very guilty pleasure, mm-hmm. but, it, but it's wine. Mm. Um, I like wine. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't? It's great. <laughs> Um, if you don't like wine, what's wrong with you? <laughs> well, I, I know, I, but I was trying to sort of think of uh, a guilty pleasure that that is relevant to um, to the to the job, and not because, not, not because the job drives me to drink. It's entirely different. But um, you go to all these different events as a, a marketing, and I'd end up chairing them. And even if you're doing til- t- team building stuff, um, if you're a marketing person in the room, you usually end up picking up the bill. Mm. And I'd be going to lots of these different events, and I'd always end up drinking the same stuff. And that's generally an Argentinian Malbec mm-hmm. or a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. And which, they're very nice wines. I think I wrong. had that at the last event I went to. You do? Well, yeah. because they're very nice wines. <laughs> but they're, they're, they're the sort of go-to, yeah. you know, uh, of, of wines that, that people order when they go out drinking because uh, everyone likes them. But uh, I, I'd be looking at these wine lists thinking, I wish I knew what all the rest of these wines were. I'm sure they're perfectly nice, but I just don't know anything about them. So um, I went off and did a wine course. And it was just like an eight-session course, very sort of crash thing. Um, and disco- made some discoveries. Uh, one, it seems I don't have a palate at mm. all. Um, I don't have any knowledge of horticulture. So when people were telling me they were getting notes of gooseberries and cherries and what well, I, I was smelling old trainers and (laughs) damp corners of old mansions. Um, So so I was like, okay, fine. But I think what it taught me is that um, it's an incredibly complex topic. So, you know, if you really want to do it properly, you have to know about altitude and soil type and vineyard and grape and all this kind of different stuff, which was just, I was never going to be able to have the, the brain capacity to be able to, to get all that in. But it at least gives me a sort of gearing to the sort of wines that I like. So now, if I'm ever at an event, um, at a marketing event, and I end up I'm choosing the wine, I can at least end up choosing wine that I like. Mm. And not to say that there's anything bad about Malbecs and Sauvignon Blancs, but you know, I can at least be assured that, that I'm buying stuff that, that I like to drink. And, and generally, nine times out of ten, everyone else around the table likes drinking it as well. So positive feedback. Yeah, it's been you know, it's a kind of strange off the wall additional benefit to um, bring it into um, to the marketing. All adds world, to the weight, to the though, doesn't it? The experience, oh, yeah. and uh, I think it's nice to be able to have something else to talk about when you're actually at an event as well. Because sometimes people just don't want to be sold to; they're there because obviously it's relevant, and you know you, you've kind of picked the right person who's looking at the time and obviously needs to understand more about your product or service. But you know, maybe they'd much more enjoy having an hour of uh, conversation over a good glass of wine rather than you know you've got all oh, my software. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, um, introducing wine into breakfast meetings probably isn't Maybe the way to go. Maybe not the way to go. Drink responsibly, kids. Yes. Um, but, but, you know, in, inevitably you get these sort of these opportunities to, mm. to share a glass and come up with some of some of the best and wildest ideas that you come up yeah. with over a glass talking oh, with yeah. customers and clients. Oh, yeah. Gets creative juices flowing, oh, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I think <laughs> it's a very good pleasure. Um, so what's the book you recommend the most to B2B marketers today? Wow. So I'm not one that can really get into a lot of business books. I find them quite dry. Mm. Um, 
And as uh, I mean, you know, some some that I've read that have been incredibly valuable. But uh, really, the the stuff that I like reading, uh, and this comes back to my um, my degree stuff, is history books. And the reason I like history books is because if you you sort of read them at face value, and a lot of the wording that is included in certainly you know military history books it's a lot of the same that we're dealing with in a marketing context you know there are companies there are campaigns there are tactics there all this kind of different stuff um and i sort of you know i like to think that we're in a bit of a, a battle against our competition when we're doing all our our marketing activity and and you actually start reading about um uh, not just the sort of the the military aspects and the wars, but actually the personalities that uh, are uh, you know in there as well, um, and you start actually seeing quite a lot of parallels between organisations and how they operate and, and armies and how they operate and the politics and stuff behind how those armies are used. And uh, I just find the the detail, understanding the detail, the historical detail. I'm a big believer in. If you, you know, there's a lot of examples in history, and it is cyclical that you can then apply that to what's happening in the future. Um, that you know, it's it's still valuable to actually bring that um, that learning into um, to work, and you know, it's uh, and it's subject matter that I um, that I really enjoy reading. I mean, one one book that I that I did read, not a history book, but one that I found quite compelling, slightly different. It's a book called The Great Acceleration, mm. and it came out a couple of years ago, and it was. Um, a book that basically tells about how different elements of the world are speeding up. I mean, the premise of the book, I think they measure how people, how quickly people walk from um, one part of Waterloo Bridge to another. And they sort of sur- surveyed it you know, a decade ago or 20 years ago, and they've done it again, and people are, are walking more quickly. Uh, and then they look at sort of what's happening in politics and what's happening in the news and, and all this kind of stuff. And they sort of touch on how technology is influencing it all um, and how, you know, we're all becoming so immediate. And, you know, it, it, to take journalism as an example, you know, there's um, investigative journalism is kind of on the wane. And there is so much of pressure on journalists to get, be the first to the story to the point where I think they give the example of um, when there was a bombing in Boston during the marathon, that they uh, used what information they had to accuse someone quite incorrectly of being the bomber, and people actually mobbed you know, to that person's location um, when actually the person had absolutely nothing to do with it. But because of the pressure of the media outlets of getting actually the news out there um, and getting updates through, there was a lot of uh, there's a lot of miscommunication that goes out there. So I found I found that fascinating, and especially how, as consumers, we're then being shaped to uh, have expectations about the media that we consume. And obviously, for um, for marketing people doing campaigns and pushing messages out, you've got to be cognizant of that. Um, and then the last book, I mean, the book I'm reading at the moment is. Um, uh, this book called Mythos by Stephen Fry, which is a retelling, his version of retelling all the Greek myths. And I like them because they are they are simple stories in themselves, but the Greeks just found really interesting ways of retelling the basic sort of creation myths. Um, and if you, 
if you sort of they're just Stephen Fry talks about them as just nice stories that he grew up learning about, and they obviously have sort of hidden messages and fables and stuff like that behind them. But as marketing people, the reason I like it um, that we are storytellers, and sometimes we have to tell stories in a different slant or a different version uh, in order to get our point across. Um, so I found it a really interesting read from that sort of creative writing perspective, mm. and they are just good stories. I mean, the Greeks were bonkers, but the, <laughs> the stories that they came out with um, were, um, were really, really good and engaging. And fun. I love the fact that you draw inspiration from such a huge variety of sources and areas and how there's always a marketing connection, Tom. It's really inspiring. Lovely. Well, one tries. Yeah, <laughs> one tries. It's lovely. So what passing words of wisdom or advice would you share with our audience? I'd say that just to keep things simple, you know, I, just don't get bogged down in detail. Try and take the most simplest view that you possibly can. And don't, get, don't feel that you have to know everything. It's okay not to know everything, but just be open and honest about it. And I think, you know, I'm, I run my life by, my professional life by, three mantras, three simple things. The first is keep do, do the basics, like get the basics right. The second is to um, do simple things well. And the third is always do what you say you're going to do. And I think if you can combine those together and you know, always take those into whatever project or activity or tactic or strategy that you're doing, uh, you'll actually find that you take a lot of the stress out of putting plans together and you start nailing down to what actually is the thing you are trying to achieve. And I don't even mean that in terms of putting campaigns together. That can be your personal career desires. It can be doing an interview. It can be researching a company, whatever. If you can just simplify things down to what is it that we are trying to achieve I'm trying to achieve and do the simple logical steps that you, to get you there. I think you'll always be successful. Fantastic. Well, a lovely note to leave you, Tom. Thank you ever so much for your time, Tom. Really appreciate it. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks. So there you have it. Career advice from a real marketing expert and leader in the field. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, then please leave us a review in iTunes. We'd love to hear your feedback.